0: Hey, this is noah levine founder of against the stream refuge recovery and dharma punks thanks for tuning into the podcast i hope you're enjoying the dharma together may we create a positive change on this planet if you feel moved to leave a donation there's a link in the show notes may our paths cross soon welcome everybody how many people here for the first time tonight welcome 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 Anybody tuning in on Zoom for the first time tonight, welcome to you. This is the regular Monday night class here at Against the Stream. It's been happening uh, on Mondays on the west side. We used to be in Santa Monica. We've been over here for a few years, but uh, almost 17 years this Monday night. Sangha has been happening every Monday. Some of you. Been coming for a long time. Some of you are new. Welcome to all. I started the new year with the story of the life of the Buddha, and uh, um, we're going slowly through his um, core teachings of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And you've uh, arrived, if you're new, on the um, you know few months into it. Uh, tonight, we're talking about the fifth factor of the Eightfold Path, which is about our relationship to money, to work, and livelihood. And um, so, we're going to explore that tonight. One of the core principles of Buddhism, I mean, of course, it's about meditation. We come to, to meditate, learn meditation, practice meditation together talk about the Dharma, the Buddha's teachings, how we can really apply them to our lives, how we can live this path, if that's what you're interested in doing. Um, But one of the core refuges of of Buddhism is community. And it's a big part of my personal motivation to have a meditation center and to to teach, uh, is to help people develop community. And it's a little difficult in meditation groups to meet people because you come and you pretend like you're spiritual and you meditate and you don't want to say anything stupid. And then you leave and you go back out to your life. And so I have been in the habit most of the time of having you introduce yourselves to each other, to actually meet a couple of people in the room that you don't know yet. So that if you come regularly, you'll start to know each other and develop community so that it's more than just, I meditate and I listen, but I engage in this intentional engaging. And so since we're talking about what's called right livelihood, wise, uh, you know, livelihood, and and I'll I'll talk about what the Buddha um, encouraged us to not do for a living. It's all about karma. All of Buddhism is all about karma. And of course, we don't want to have a job that's creating negative karma for us. We spend so much of our life working uh, most of us do, not all of us, but most of us spend so much of our life uh, in our employment, whether you're self-employed or, you know, but earning money probably. And um, there's the perspective that, you know, you could be the best meditator. You could, you know, you could meditate all the time, but if you're engaged in in a job that's creating negative karma for you your meditation practice isn't going to take you that far towards liberation towards freedom so i'd like to i'll i'll give the full spiel after the meditation uh, but i'd like to invite you to introduce yourself to somebody in the room that you don't know yet maybe groups of two or three don't just talk to your homies that you're with talk to some people you don't know yet some to meet some new people um, and uh, talk about what you do for a living. Very LA, what do you do? <laughs> what, do you, what do you do for a living? Um, and we're gonna explore you know, how important it is to choose a livelihood that's not causing harm to ourselves or others, whether it's karmically or, or physically. And that if some, probably some people in our community I said last week. I've got a—I don't know if he showed up here tonight, but a guy I've been communicating with, whose uh, Instagram handle is the Buddhist Butcher, with like a sense of humor about, like, yeah, I'm a Buddhist and I'm also a butcher and I make killer bacon and um, and it's what I do and I know it's kind of against the the livelihood teachings, but it is also my passion and what I do and so that might be true. You know, there might be some of you who have livelihoods that you know are not uh you know in line with the ideal buddhist and that's okay rather than hopefully there's not a lot of judgment or a lot of um shame about it just kind of honesty of um you know maybe you are still dealing drugs that's okay you're still welcome here maybe you are still murdering or stealing or you know uh, loan sharks or, you know, assassins or whatever, you know, you might be. So find somebody, a couple people that you don't know and uh, talk about what you do for a living and maybe why you do it and how you like doing it. Talk about work for a minute. So we'll have a period of meditation for about 30 minutes. I'll offer some instructions for the benefit of those new to meditation, this kind of meditation, and uh, also just as a reminder um, to the rest of you who are professionals, to find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed. Allowing our eyes to be gently closed and the body to be relaxed in the upright posture. Establishing an inner attitude of kindness, friendliness, acceptance. Towards whatever arises in your meditation. The intention to be kind, patient with your own mind, with your body, any discomfort you might experience. We establish mindfulness, present time, non judgmental, kind awareness, turning our awareness, our attention inward to our direct experience. Buddha's initial meditation instructions were something like breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Bring mindfulness to the sensations that the breath creates. In order to become fully present with the breath we have to disengage from our tendency to think about the future and the past or to fantasize or to wander in thought so disengaging our attention from the mind and giving our full attention to the body, the sensations of sitting upright, the sensations of breathing. No need to try to control the breath in any way. Just let your awareness receive the breath if it's deep or shallow, long or short. The primary effort is on paying attention to what's happening, not trying to make any certain thing happen. Just receiving each breath. And when the attention gets drawn off into a thought or a sound, just come back to the breath over and over. You notice tension in your jaw or your shoulders or belly. Try to soften. Release the tension. As you exhale, softening the belly, releasing the jaw. So we stay open, relaxed. Receptive to our own attention, not resisting or suppressing anything Most of our suffering, our unhappiness, is created by our own minds. Part of this first foundation of mindfulness is learning to ignore your mind, to break our addiction, to obeying the mind, constantly believing our own confused thoughts, our judgments, our insecurities, our fears. See for yourself how you can disengage from the contents of the thinking mind as you return your attention to the feeling body over and over. Continue to keep it quite simple, just being mindful of the breath. Or you can begin to expand to become more inclusive of your whole body, mindfulness of the contact with the chair, the cushion, how your hands are resting. What other sensations are associated with the breath? Perhaps you feel your clothing against your skin. Becoming aware of this body as the four elements. And the earth, solidity with the contact. The air with each breath. The water with the heart beating, with the saliva. This body, which is mostly water sitting here. and the heat, temperature, fire element. This body with its six ways of knowing, six sense doors, we can all we can be mindful of all of them the sound as an object of mindfulness perhaps even tuning into that high pitched tone the ringing that is always present smell, and taste, and seeing. And rather than continuing to ignore the mind, bring awareness to the process of thoughts and emotions passing through consciousness, awareness, knowing, observing, The plans, the memories, the hopes, the fears, cravings, aversions, rising and passing through the heart and mind. Present time, non judgmental awareness of what is. One of my teachers says just turn towards and identify that right now it's like this these thoughts, these sensations these emotions. Some are pleasant, agreeable, enjoyable. Some are unpleasant, difficult, hard to bear. goal of mindfulness is to see clearly the reality of our own heart and mind and body to understand the impermanent nature of all thought all sensation all emotion Learning to meet the unpleasant experiences with compassion, forgiveness, mercy. Learning to meet the pleasant with non-attached appreciation. coming to know that none of it's all that personal. It's just a human body, experience, sensation. Just the human condition, this mind, that tends to be so self-centered. It's not your fault. I'm gonna start uh, with some questions for you to reflect on. Maybe you've already started to reflect on them since I already talked about work and money a little bit. The Buddha's second noble truth identifies The cause of human suffering, the only reason you're ever unhappy, is because of craving. Craving is the culprit every time. This is the Buddha's teaching. You can check that out for yourself, see if it holds up. (laughs) You don't have to believe it, but next time you're unhappy, look at why and see where's the the craving? What's causing this unhappiness? What's causing this suffering? What is it that I'm rejecting, right? Also aversion is a form of craving, craving for it to be different than it is. Or what is not happening that I wish to be happening and therefore I'm unhappy, I'm suffering. Something's happening I wish wasn't happening. I'm craving for it not to be so I'm suffering. How much of your craving, don't answer, but reflect, like take a moment to reflect on this. How much of your, uh, how much of the time do you suffer? How much of the suffering that you experience in life, unhappiness, difficulty, stress, discontent is about money. Is about craving for more money or attachment to the money you have, afraid of losing it. Or I don't know if anybody suffers from aversion to all of the money you have. Wish I didn't have so much fucking money. I'm going to get rid of it. Probably some people suffer like that. Like, There's that... uh, That statistic that just about everybody that wins the lottery and gets the you know, millions and millions of dollars says I was way happier before. Actually, having all of this money created a ton of extra suffering in my life that I didn't have before I had all this money. I thought, I, you know, we all think we want lots of it, right? Don't you? Most of us think like, oh, yeah, it'd be awesome to have abundance. If you're spiritual, you call it abundance. <laughs> But that often actually, when that happens, it's like, oh, this fucking sucks. This is terrible. I don't know who my friends are anymore. Everybody wants something from me. It's quite interesting, you know. Uh, supposedly this was in the original teaching from the buddha in Sar, you know in the deer park in in saranath just after his awakening and he's talking to his five total renunciate uh friends these sadhus that he's hanging out with these ascetics and supposedly he then talked to them about livelihood <laughs> which to me i feel like uh, i'm not sure that that's The Buddha was, you know, Siddhartha walked away from livelihood. He walked away from his inheritance. He walked away from money. He practiced total unemployment. He was, you know, he renounced employment. He said, I never, you know, I'm not going to work. I'm going to be a full-time meditator and beggar and homeless person and, uh, you know, kind of a, a vow of poverty on whatever level. But at some point, so it may or may not have taken place in the first turning of the wheel, this first teaching when he's telling his, his friends about suffering and the cause of suffering and uh, nirvana, the end of suffering, the possibility of being truly free. And when he's breaking down the eightfold path and he, he, you know he breaks it down into these three categories, we have to develop meditation mindfulness and concentration, which will lead to wisdom, and the wisdom of understanding the karmic implications of all of our actions, every intentional thought, act, speech, deed, everything that we do has karmic momentum to it. including what we do for a living. So anyways, I'm skeptical that he was saying that to these renunciates who didn't have jobs. But at some point, I completely believe and love that the Buddha was so inclusive of householders, of what we call lay people, non-renunciates, people like us who aren't being monks, aren't being nuns, aren't, but are staying in the world in relationships, have jobs, are engaging in sexuality, have money, or earning money, even though he chose a life of celibacy and renunciation, and no job and no money, and gave the teachings away. Didn't charge anybody for it. It wasn't his, you know, Buddhism is in a sad state in the world where it's become a kind of commerce. Um, rather than this sort of tradition in the Buddha's time, which is like you just give it away, you're just free, freely offered everything, freely offered. Um, and here we find ourselves twenty six hundred years later in a you know completely dysfunctional capitalist society that. Um, trying to practice this path. Okay, what is, what is my job? What's my relationship to money? How much am I suffering about it? How much, um, how much is enough? How do I earn it? And the big question, the core question of um, this fifth factor of the Eightfold Path is, am I creating negative karma for myself in my attempts to earn money? Is what I'm doing uh, causing harm in any way to myself or anyone else? If it's causing harm, it's creating negative karma. It's going to hinder our liberation. So if you're serious about liberation, a lot of people come to meditation groups like this that aren't that serious about liberation, (laughs) just kind of looking for some stress reduction and some meditative uh, tools to navigate your bank account or... (laughs) the stresses of your life or but of course the buddha's teaching has one one goal enlightenment it's not about stress reduction it's not about getting comfortable in samsara and making sure that you you know have a lot of abundance it's about can i get free how free can we get whether we have abundance or we have lack and then how do we navigate our relationship to money and work and the karma of of our actions. And a strong encouragement that if you're serious, if you want to get as free as possible, it's going to be necessary to find a profession. If you're going to stay as a professional, if you're going to stay in the material world, it's necessary to find a job that's not causing harm. Because you can't get free while creating negative karma. They don't go together. So you have to find a, and how much of your life do you spend working? 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. The last two weeks, we talked about communication and action. We're always communicating something. We're always our conduct, whether we're at work or we're not at work. But that full-time employment that almost all of us probably have on some level or another, you're not just earning a paycheck, you're earning karma all day, every day at work. And what kind of karma are you, are we, earning? Now, the way that it's traditionally taught is that You don't have to be doing something super helpful and compassionate. It's not, you know, he didn't say like everyone has to be a social worker. That's it. If you want to be a Buddhist, you have to be an environmentalist and an activist and a social worker. And you got to be, you know, engaged in creating a positive change. He did not say that. He said, you just can't be engaged in something that's causing harm. As long as you're not causing yourself harm, there's lots of livelihoods that maybe aren't that helpful to anybody, but they're still right livelihood. They're not harmful. So some of the traditional uh, careers to be avoided are anything to do with killing, uh, soldiers. And this is a tricky one. I've had lots of students who are soldiers. Over the years, people, you know, out of poverty, out of whatever, join up, out of patriotism, join up Um, and get serious about Buddhism and say, oh, but I'm fucking, I'm in the army. I'm in the whatever, Navy or something. So this is one of the things that, that, you know, can be a dilemma for people who are in the armed services. And then they hear the Buddha said wrong livelihood, (laughs) not a good way to make money. We don't want to be engaged in a livelihood that might necessitate violence, and certainly don't want to be uh, in a livelihood that does killing—butchers, uh, fishing, hunting, um, any of those things where you're where you're killing living beings. You're getting the karma from that, and you just don't want to engage in that. We don't want to, uh, because you'll be. You know, if you want to get enlightened, if you want to get free, you don't want to be taking on that karma at work. Some of the other things, as they said, uh, any kind of um, drug dealing, including alcohol. Alcohol's a drug? We will know that. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, 2,600 years ago, he's saying that, and there's bars and there's, you know, stuff. But now, uh, I think it's a little bit more uncommon back then. Now it's like everywhere if, and it's the implications of not making money off of booze. It's like, shit, I just work in Whole Foods. But Whole Foods sells lots of booze. And I'm making money off of a, you know, not only that you're working for Bezos, but you know, you're working <laughs> or working in a restaurant, even the you know, working down I plant food, wine. Vegan, you know, like I'm there because I care about the animals, and I work at the vegan restaurant that sells booze, and I'm making money off of an organization that gets people drunk and diluted, or buzzed and diluted, whatever. So this can be quite tricky, you know, Buddhists, Buddhas. Buddha's, Buddha's stance on sobriety, personal fifth precepts. We abstain from using any kind of recreational drugs and alcohol, and we abstain from profiting from others' people's use of any kind of recreational. So that can be a challenge, some of you might be waiters or bartenders or work at the local vegan wine dealer or grocery store. He said also trading in um, flesh. And some translate this as selling meat and some translate this as that what he meant is selling people, human trafficking, slavery, uh, uh, pimping. Any kind of like sex trade, being involved in, in, the, in profiting from the sex trade, selling people? I've had people ask me before, like, uh, can we sell ourselves? Is this, you know, like, um, because the way that it is worded is don't profit off of selling other people. But I've had sex workers in the community say, like, well, is it wrong livelihood that I choose to engage in the pornography or sex industry? I don't know. You have to, you know, like. And there's something I think, so, you know, there's some classic like killing and drug dealing and pimping and... But some of it comes down to like, how does it feel? Like, how does your job feel to you? How does your career feel to you? Does it feel good? Does it feel like you're doing something? um, Where you feel like, "Mm, I feel good about this. There is a part of it, rather than like Buddhism as here's the rules, all of our mindfulness... How is how's it resonating? How's, how's my karma feel in my life? The way that I speak, how does that feel? The way that I act, how does that feel? What I do for a living, how does it feel? Does it feel wholesome? Does it feel good? Does it at least not feel bad? You know, if you're doing something that doesn't feel good, stop doing it. <laughs> if you can, and maybe there's a little privilege in that, you know, of kind of like, yeah, just quit. Not everybody can just quit. Might take some time to extricate yourself from a livelihood that, you know, it's not like overnight, like, oh, I wanna be a good Buddhist, so I'm gonna quit my job. But, you know, put some things into place and be like, I'm gonna get out of this field of work. It doesn't feel good. I don't wanna be selling alcohol, I don't wanna be engaging in, uh, you know, murder or a couple of other things that he talks about, um, livelihoods. And I had to look this up, um, involved in um, deceit, treachery, or usury. Do you know what usury means? I didn't know what it means. I had to, I had to look it up a long time ago, where it's like a, a charging an exorbitant uh, interest rate like, you know, kind of, and back then, 2600 years ago, where people would become indentured servants, because they would get themselves into a debt that it was impossible to get out of this usury debt, where it's like, you know, not only are you indebted, your children are indebted, like, you know, this is going to create generational poverty, based on the interest rates of this loan or this situational situation. And uh, I mean, we could look at some of our capitalist, uh, you know, student loans or just interest rates on credit cards or mortgages, or, you know, uh, you know, there's some of that going on. Payday loans, usury. <laughs> Do you work at the payday loan shop? You might wanna reconsider, um, you know, all of this good way that capitalism has, Influence, like how can you make the most money at whoever's expense without any concern for karma, without any concern for the harm that we cause behind sweatshops and, you know, making sure we have our iPhones made by people who aren't being treated well in China or wherever. So, I think that yes, what do we do for a living, but it's such a it's so much bigger to like how do we relate to money and not only earning but also consuming? How do we spend our money? How do we relate to money? How attached are we? How much are we suffering about it? How non-attached can we be and should we be? It's said that the Buddha's first teaching often when he came into contact with new people was that first he would start talking about the importance of generosity, the importance of giving, sharing our resources, our time, our energy, and our finances with each other. Things like supposedly were said, like, if you really understood the importance of your karma and your generosity and non-attachment and that you wouldn't let a single meal go by without sharing some of it with someone that's hungry. Someone in need rather than our sort of like, do I have enough and I've got, oh, I need mine and better save my leftovers in case I get hungry at midnight. He said, you know, you would always share, always give. Feed each other. But is there a such thing as um, so much non-attachment that you're irresponsible? Have you done that where you've given too much? You get so inspired and you're like, I'm going to, I gave so much and, and I gave it all. And now I'm hungry <laughs> and now I can't pay my rent. And now I, I get, you know, I was, I wasn't planning or like, I, I saw my father who was a very successful spiritual teacher, wrote all these wonderful books and, you know, would do workshops, hundreds of people, very successful guy. And uh, in his, by the time he was in his seventies, he was completely broke and so broke um, because he did, wasn't good with money, um, made some bad investments. I don't know what exactly what happened because he never really told me, but he ended up so broke that they had to do fundraisers for him like Ram Das and all of these people had to like raise money for, you know, so that he had some money to live on for the last 10 years of his life, even though he had earning capacity in a right livelihood. And I was a wonderful teacher but he said, "I don't want to teach anymore and I'm broke. and <laughs> can you all help me out?" Which I don't think is terrible. Like he had, you, his life had been so much service, and people were like happy to help him. But, but there's something there, and maybe this is more personal to me, but hopefully relevant for all of us, of, um, yes, non-attachment to our material things, and you don't want to be greedy and you don't want to be too worried about the future but also responsible. And what about retirement? And what about, you know, your 401ks and your health insurance when you're old and all of that stuff of like, is there a balanced relationship to money? To how we earn it, how we spend it, how we save it, how we invest it, all of that stuff. And even investing, you know, this stuff about Earning money in unwholesome ways—I don't know exactly. I'm not a stock market person, um, so I don't know exactly what the S and P is. Some of you do, but I know it's like it's like a whole bunch of different stocks, right? And you know, most investors will be like, "Well, you know, invest in the S and P. It's the safest way to, you know, probably make six percent a year on your money or whatever." But if you really start to look at what is in those stocks that your stockbroker has invested for you through your 401k or whatever it is, how many of those businesses are engaged in what would be wrong livelihood, are engaged in killing or, you know, kind of oppression in some way or another that you're like, I wouldn't, I don't want to make money from sweatshops, but Apple's a great stock, I don't want to be part of, uh, you know, oppressing anyone anywhere. But is that really true when it comes to how you invest? And so, you know, as a Buddhist, we have to start to look at all of this. You know, are we actually more interested in quick buck? That was a good investment, or you know, how much? investigation do we do into how we're spending our money? Where we're putting it, how we're saving it, how we're investing. it? I know that there's like Buddhist investors. I know on the Buddhist magazines, there was somebody for a long time. I don't know if they still are like on tricycle and Shambhala that was like advertising, like ethical investing. You know, we hears, we will, we're Buddhists and we'll make sure that we put your money in the funds that are associated with right livelihood, you know, because we know you care about that. And we know that the rest of the capitalist world doesn't care about that, but that part of our process of awakening is starting to become more and more awake to the importance of karma and the karma of earning. And the karma of money and spending. As a mindful, this is a little bit off topic, but I just kind of talking about money. As part of your mindful investigation of your own mind, just kind of asking yourself, inquiry is such a big part of our meditation. What do I believe about money? And where did I learn that? Some spiritual, do you, do you have any, this is all rhetorical questions, but do you have any like uh, ideas of like, uh, as a spiritual person, that money is a little bit bad? You're not supposed to care about money? A little bit of kind little judgment of people who care about money. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. But looking at that, where did you get that? Even just hanging, I feel like I have a little bit of that. I put that on myself a little bit. Like, I love the Buddha so much. Like, I'm so grateful for his teachings. But also, it creates a little internal dissonance of like, well, if I really was a good Buddhist, would I be like him and renounce all material and sensual experience? How much do I really love the guy if I'm over here in the householder path and he clearly was on a monastic path? And how does his celibacy and renunciation create an internal uh, dissonance for me around my relationship to Buddhism? It does create some. And you know, I got all these monastic teachers that are awesome and I love the monks and they're so kind and they're so friendly and they're so like, yeah, yeah, you can still get enlightened as a householder. You can still get totally liberated as, as a householder. But you have this sense that they're like, but not really. <laughs> it's like, yeah, supposedly it's possible. But it kind of like, but it's gonna be way fucking harder to get really free in the midst of commerce. It's gonna be way harder. One of the scriptural quotes about money that um, stuck with me was that one of the major benefactors, donors, one of the people that gave a lot of money to the Buddha and to his um, followers, to the Sangha, and not like cash, but like gave them these groves that they could live in and build them monasteries and fed them all of the time and was just a major supporter, very wealthy businessman. And at one point there's a dialogue between him and the uh, Buddha where he goes to the Buddha and he says, you know, I'm so inspired by your teaching. I want what you have. I want to get free. Um, I've been tremendously successful in business. I have abundance. I have uh, and I think, you know, even like within a right livelihood way I made all of this money and um but I really just want to be a blessing to people. I really just want, I see that you have nothing except for wisdom. You've got no material, anything. You've got a bowl and a robe and that's it, but you're helping so many people and I want to help. I want to be a blessing in that way. Should I renounce my material world? Should I, um, you know, is it necessary for me to let go of my business and money and in order to get free? And the Buddha says, um, he says, my teaching does not demand or necessitate that anybody renounce anything except for attachment. That's it, he says, if you can't be, if you're too attached to your money, and there's a quote who knows if it's totally accurate but says something like if you're clinging to it if you you know if you're suffer attachment which equals suffering if you're suffering about it, he says then in that case better to throw it away better to really you know relinquish it than let it poison your heart it's not worth suffering about but if you can practice non attachment and in a responsible way with like, yes, I've got my retirement and my ethical investments or whatever, but not in an attached way. He says, then no problem. You can you know have your material things and you can get totally free as long as you're not clinging. So that's the question for each of us, how attached. how much do I cling? How much do I crave? How much do I allow money, which is a necessity on some level or another, create suffering in my heart? And when we can identify like, oh, I do that a lot, then we can start bringing our mindfulness of the impermanent and the impersonal and the, it's just not worth suffering about show up to work and have your money and plan your budgets and do all of that stuff and watch the craving mind say, I wish I had more without believing it, without suffering about it, without believing that story that the mind constantly tells. And then no matter, right. And then you get more. How many times have you experienced this? I won't be happy until I get there. And then you get there and you're like, it's not, how about there? How about there? How about there? You know, like I thought if I could just make, I've watched my own life like that feeling like when I was a kid, I can remember like, if I can make 20 bucks an hour, that's amazing. And then at some point, like, nope, I need 30. I need 50. Like, I can't live on 20 bucks an hour. You can, maybe not in Los Angeles, but you can. Maybe I'll leave it there and open to some discussion about your relationship to money. Any questions about wise livelihood, right livelihood, avoid killing, drug dealing, exorbitant uh, tax, uh, exorbitant interest rates uh, or anything that's dishonest, any sort of treachery, dishonesty. I always wonder about like, And this is so common, like when I've traveled in in Asia, um, where, you know, you ask somebody how much something is where there's that bargaining culture, where it's not like this is the price, like you ask somebody what the price is of something. And the first thing is, I'm going to lie to you. For sure, I'm going to lie to you. I'm going to lead with a lie. And if you're good at bargaining, you'll get me down. But if you're not good at bargaining, you're going to pay this price that's not actually the price. The price is flexible, which is so difficult for, was very difficult for me when I ran into that. It's the same thing of like here going to buy a car. They're like, well, the sticker says, this is how much it costs. And you're like, but I know I can haggle a bit. I can, you know, there's a bargain here. There's a, there's a, uh, a deal to be made. But people in that sales, where it's not just like a set price, are sort of in a, a line of work where lying is part of your job. What a drag to like be in this line of work where it's like, yeah, I'm just gonna lie to you. That's part of what we do. You tell me how much, hundred bucks. How about 75? I'll take it, it was actually only 20 bucks.
1: <laughs>
0: if you get the price on the sec- on the first ask, you paid way too much. <laughs> So, anyways, opening it. Yeah, please.
2: Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I was, I've been thinking like this is very much uh like livelihood is like very much like the the spoke of the hub that's like out of balance right now for me because I don't have a job, you know, and like a lot of my mindfulness recently has definitely been spent like planning about getting a job. You know, I've got until mid May on disability, you know, and he came from the world of tech and, and I kind of resonated with what he said about drug dealing, which is like, hmm, I, you know, I feel like a drug dealer sometimes working in tech, you know. Um, got
0: that dopamine over here. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: and, and so like really, you know, putting a lot of consideration to like what does right livelihood look like for me, uh, because on the one hand, you know. Like, I don't really have a lot of other marketable skills other than like working in tech, you know, like, and I certainly know that the most compassionate thing to me at this point is not to go back to being a software engineer, which is like beating my head against the wall in a lot of ways. But, um, but I I guess my question or or what what I'm trying to get at is like, you know, uh, what is the role of like kind of intention behind what I do choose, because I feel like, well, if I want to keep, you know, the, 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 livelihood or like the, the privileges of my life that i do enjoy like you know debating whether or not to like invest in an ira that's based on cryptocurrency or gold or like that's that to me is a privilege right but it's something that i enjoy it's something i would like to keep in my life i probably have to work continue working in tech because any other job like i'm just not going to be making enough money to, to maintain my lifestyle so like you know I, I and like i'm also thinking like maybe it's time for me to try to branch out and do my own thing you know but it's probably gonna be in tech again. Um, and so, like, you know, what is the question? What the question is, I guess, is like, if I'm going into it with the intention of like doing well, like you're doing good, uh, like being compassionate to myself and other people, knowing full well that, especially with technology, there are often unintended consequences, right? Like, does, am, I, am I like setting myself up for like, you know, falling into a car- karmic like pit hole here, or like, you know, should I just take the easy route and like go work at Whole Foods for a while, you know, or like, what, what, you know, is, is there any right answer to this at all? You know, like, I feel like the, like what I want to be doing is not trying to make a million dollars, but doing like kind of like engaged standards, you know, like of like being mindful of, at every, every step, you know, and like trying to find some path that is meaningful, useful to me and to others and like compassionate all
0: around. Yeah. I have no answers for you, but um, you are, you're asking the right questions. Yeah. And that's what that's, you know, am I asking the right questions about all of this? And, and you are. You're asking the right questions. And, and, you know, there's a lot going on in the world today that we're dealing with that the Buddha didn't address directly like technology. There wasn't any. So it wasn't addressed in traditional Buddhism. Um, and who know? I wonder, I wonder what the Buddha would say about, about technology. It's, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. On, on one hand, we have all of the Buddha's teachings right here. You can Google the whole, you know all of the teachings of all of the traditions, this high-powered computer. Um, And then, you know, what's the statistic about what humans actually use the internet for? It's like 90% pornography or something. It's like, it's really disturbing. Like, you know, we have the capacity for, you know, this to be such a great tool, but how much time do we spend scrolling on social media rather than, you know, listening to Dharma talks and, you know educational, inspirational, or, you know, there's nothing wrong with some entertainment, but how balanced do we use it and how addicted to dopamine hits have we become because we have it right there in our grasp all the time, most of us. Okay, go ahead, jump in.
3: Thanks, Noah. Yeah, I mean, my question was about intention as well, right? Because I have had that conversation with uh, my financial guy, like, what am I investing in? He's like, well, let's come in and have a discussion about it and parse through it. And I'm like, you know, then it just sounds like Charlie Brown, wah, 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 right? Um, so, look, and and, and I'm, I'm not trying to to minimize the talk about, you know, cause it's all very uh, spot on, but there's <laughs> there was that episode of The Good Place or something like that where, this character was like totally doing everything, you know, like as, as best as possible, but like, even as it tangentially went out, as his action went out to the other actions and the other actions somewhere down the line, tangentially, it got all fucked up. Like it turned into evil. Right. So uh, there's a point, there's gotta be a point, right. Where if our intention is good and we're trying to maintain balance and, and, Sure, Goldman Sachs is, you know, not great. Um, and but somehow my money's going to touch Goldman Sachs. Um, you know, there's a part where it's out of my control, and it's not intentional for me. I am trying to make, uh, you know, keep a roof over my head. I'm trying to do all the things, and you know, have enough money so I can give to the sangha, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and to do things that I find are, are generous and compassionate with my money. And if the stocks were to fail and that money I had invested, went to shit, you know, hopefully I wouldn't be so attached that I would suffer terribly over it. Um, this is my, my personal individual goal, right? There are things beyond my control, um, And, and just the fact that we are human sentient beings with good and bad and pain and suffering, you know, all, you know, nothing is ideal. (laughs) Nothing in this particular world is ideal. So I don't want to suffer is what I'm saying. I I don't want to suffer over unintentional out of my control
0: actions. Yeah. I mean, and you're, you're. I saw that episode of The Good Place too. Did other people see that? The Good Place is a sort of like, you know, comedy, whatever sitcom or something. But it's you know it's about it's about the afterlife, and there's this there they figure out that nobody is ever nobody's going to heaven for like hundreds of years, and they're like, how can this be? Because there's all of these people that look like they're leading these really wholesome lives, but um, because of globalism and <laughs> that like everything's just so mucked up that even the you know uh, person who is sending flowers to their mom is getting negative karma for it because the cl- flowers are you know gmo and and uh, you know like just it's not how karma works that's that was a funny thing but it's not how karma works based on our intentions but it's not the but ignorance isn't really an excuse we have enough awareness of what's happening globally and what's happening in the american capitalist system to do our homework and to actually sit down with the investor and say actually i need to know because my intention is to you know not be involved you know profiting from unethical corporations so i'm not going to buy apple and i'm not going to buy you know these good stocks because i don't want that karma Um, and then we have to, or making that conscious, intentional choice to say, you know what, I'm going to take the karma because I want the money, but then being honest with ourselves about like, I am intentionally, you know, benefiting from companies that I know are causing a ton of harm, but rather than denying it, like just tell the truth, show up and take full responsibility. Our karma is based on that intention and that honesty, honest intention. Um, and it's it's possible. It's possible even in this world to um, purify our karma.
3: It was not the loophole I was looking for, just
0: saying. You're welcome. <laughs> Tom, go ahead.
4: Thanks, Noah. Um, I just kind of wanted to share you know, coming from both ends of the spectrum, it's ironically the 10th of this month. I went into treatment, um, you know, and I was selling drugs and everything else. And uh, here it is a year later and, you know, with refuge recovery and just my own practice. I mean, I've just undergone a complete transformation. You know, I lost everything in a house fire prior to uh, treatment and you know, now I've just got a place, two bedroom with my four kids, but it's, it's wonderful. It's like the less I have, the better. And same with money. I mean, I know I need it, but I mean, I'm backsaw and lumber. Like I work with wood, which is like perfect for me. I love it. I've been doing it for a long time. And, you know, I'm actually going back to the place I went to treatment to do like be an activities director this summer. So it's just, it's really, amazing to hear you know just this dharma talk and then really see both sides of the spectrum with myself personally and and the experiences that i've under have gone through to kind of get here so it's just it's a beautiful thing i'm appreciative to you and um it's it's just good stuff so thank you
0: thanks tom good to see you anybody else in the room have a question
5: um i just been thinking about because I've been thinking a lot about changing careers because I didn't really like where I was at and I really feel like like I mean the easiest way to describe it is kind of like I just want to make as little money as possible like it's really what I feel because I want for uh instead of making money to buy things I just want to be able to create the things that I need like farming and you know Mm-hmm. your own you know clothes and house and whatever um kind of the flip side of that you know I do have people that are dependent but not entirely dependent if I were to die right now it would be fine if they have nothing else for me they would be fine but it doesn't feel fair to let them rely on other people and not contribute to their you know well-being so it's kind of I don't know
0: that's just sort of what I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah, it's a... Um, having children or dependents uh, puts a whole nother level of... Uh, responsibility. And uh, I think it's part of my own... It's part of the karma of having kids. You made that choice to, to have kids or dependents or whoever, you know um where then you know you often don't get to do whatever you want that's been my experience <laughs> as a parent of like oh i'm i a, i'm a parent i don't get to do whatever i want i have to make some children some choices based on what's right for my kids not necessarily what i want to do even if it's um you know having to work more than i'd like to work That's all the time we have for tonight. It's almost nine o'clock. Um, class is done by donation. Be super non attached to your money.
1: <laughs>
0: and um, be generous in whatever way feels good to you. And uh, also be responsible with your money. So, you know, give what feels appropriate and is appropriate to your means. Many people. Uh, like what I'm doing here enough to support the center um, by becoming a monthly supporter. So consider that our overhead is just raised a bit, but our our base rent is $3,500 a month. The landlord just raised the rent about another thousand dollars. and all of it and you know what we're what we're doing here is we're try, i'm trying to be as in line with with old school buddhism as possible by not charging people for classes but by giving the teachings and the way that it is supported is that you guys choose to to give back to support it and it's you know in our society it's really radical to actually have a place where you can go and you don't have to pay and you're welcome whether you have money or not And uh, as I said, I've been doing it so far for uh, 17 years on the west side of Los Angeles where shit's not cheap. And it's because the community has been generous uh, enough to help pay the rent every month. It keeps getting paid. And sometimes I'm a little nervous about it getting paid. And sometimes I have to pay it myself. There was a period there where I was, you know, supplementing. The the donations weren't coming in, so I was paying it out of my own uh, pocket which I feel like okay with doing because I've been so well supported by the community. And, um, but think about generosity and support of against the stream as part of your practice rather than as like kind of a, I hope it doesn't feel like a burden, but part of your practice. A day long retreat on um, the 16th, which is in two weeks. Uh, we're going to do nine to four p.m. here. Uh, it's also available on Zoom. Um, there's a registration fee for that. It's one of the ways that I bring in a little bit of money to the organization. Uh, everyone's welcome. We're going to take the refuges and the precepts, and we're going to meditate, and we're going to do a little ceremony about, um, you know, compassion and equanimity and forgiveness for the ways that we fall short of living. Uh, as ethically as we intend to live by the precepts. And so everybody's welcome. I encourage you to come sign up. If you can't afford the fee that's being asked for the registration fee, send an email and we'll give you a scholarship. You're welcome to come whether you can afford it or not afford it. So everybody's welcome. Um, And then the last announcement is the three day silent meditation retreat, May I want to say 27th. Anyways, it's Memorial Day weekend, the last weekend in May, out in Joshua Tree, three-day retreat. Um, You're all invited. Uh, There is a fee for that that goes to the retreat center. There's a little bit of scholarship money left, I think, a few spaces for like half-price retreat. So if you'd like to come, if you can afford it, pay the full price, leave the scholarships for the people who can't afford it. Uh, which is always a dilemma right when you're looking at something should I pay 600 or 300 (laughs) hmm can I afford 600 or can I afford 300 Uh, so you have to trust yourself in that if you can afford it pay the full price so that somebody that can benefit from the, the one that can't afford it I think that's all the announcements that I have Thank you for your practice with me tonight, your consideration of these teachings. may any goodness that comes from our study, our conversation, our practice, be gathered and shared outward in all directions. May all beings benefit from any merit we've accumulated tonight. May each one of us do what needs to be done to get as free as we can in this lifetime. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Next week, we will be on the sixth factor of the path, talking about effort. How, how much effort does it take to get free on this eightfold path? So, hope this- Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.